Oh, are we live? We're live. Look at this. Rocking and rolling. Yeah, what I was saying is uh, I started a little project sheet for these podcasts so that I can gripe at Schwartzy for how long this is taking and how much we're not making. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can you can total up all those hours and then find somebody to bill for it. I don't know who, but right, somebody. Uh, the CEO of my company gets billed for a lot of stuff. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, actually, actually, no. Um, so with Mike being a part of the program now and helping mentor me through these things, I call him the CEO. I'm still the president of the board and the janitor, but he's kind of the CEO. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? You're not working. Seems to be <laughs> a common thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, he, he stopped by the shop not too long ago. He's just down the road from me. Awesome. Talking to him. Yeah. Well, I think he's getting used to me as we go yeah. along here. There you go. <laughs> Schwartz, what do you do? To... We'll, we'll go ahead, TJ. Has he got you to braid any rawhide yet? No, he won't do that. He'll get me oh. to do a lot of things, but <laughs> those bits and bites and whatever they talk about, I can't do that. Uh-huh. That, don't, that don't work. <laughs> well, Willie, you're going to have to oh, alter well. your... Uh the moniker you have for me because there's two Schwartzies on here now. So, I got Schwartzy uh, one and Schwartzy two. We won't know which one mm-hmm. you're referring to. We got son TJ on here. So, uh, <clears throat> anyway, welcome TJ, TJ Schwartz, knife maker, yep. knife designer. Mm-hmm. Businessman. Yeah, happy to be on. Yeah. I listened to you. been listening to your guys' podcast at, Every Monday morning, so well, I feel maybe I'm famous now. Get on you, my dad's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is bigger than ours, so uh, is, is this is this a step down for you? Probably, it probably is on huh, Schwartzy, Pappy Schwartz. We got Pappy Schwartzy, and there you go. I don't know what to call you, TJ. Just, just TJ. Mm-hmm. But you probably have yours is doing good, right? Your podcast. Yeah. Yeah, so far so good. We don't make any money either. We did start a Patreon for it, but it yeah, we're just having fun. So try not to put any pressure on it to make money in the early days and just see how organic growth goes and just have having fun. Yeah. Well mm-hmm. I've I've been adverse to this podcast thing for a long time until somebody calls me and says, Do you want to do it? And I said, Sure, of course I said sure to Carrie Schwartzy. Mm-hmm. So but anyway, I never knew how to make money on the things. <laughs> I obviously still don't. That's all mm-hmm. right. <laughs> it's all so right. Mike got any, any advice on how to make money on these podcasts or what's he had to say about it? I don't, I know he's not telling me any way to make money. He, uh, from, he thinks we're doing a good thing that there's a lot of interest out there, but, uh, no, I, I don't think he has any insight on entrepreneurship of podcasting. I'll tell you what, the last two knife shows that I've went to, uh, big, big knife shows, one in Atlanta, Georgia, and one in Salt Lake City, the number one thing that I've had people bring up the first time they run into me is the podcast. Um, It may not be like the defining thing that I do, but it's the first thing they think of. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it tells me there's, there's something going on out there that, you know, people are gravitating to. So hard to put a price on that. It. It truly is. And I think that the long-term marketing and branding of this, I mean, people now know I'm an idiot and it's okay to talk to me if, if nothing else, right? <laughs> yeah, we're revealing we, revealing our inept abilities by recording ourselves for an hour every week, but yeah. that's how it goes. No longer do they think I'm anything di- different than them, which is awesome. Right? Maybe that's the goal. Yeah, it is a goal. Yeah. It's part of the goal, yeah. It is the yeah, it, I mean, it is. I mean, we've talked so much about it, Carrie, about uh, vulnerability. What what was that? What book was that? Which book was it that we, the, you know, being vulnerable and safe, you know, we, we show our own vulnerabilities, but then we, it's a safe environment to be around us and talk to us and, and uh, you know, he, he ultimately order something from us, right? It's like, it, it's okay to call him and say, hey, mm-hmm. make me something. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. a book that well, Daniel Coyle you, wrote uh, called The Culture Code, and, and uh, he talks in there about the culture of different 
like uh, athletic teams, professional sports, uh, organizations, special forces in the military. And, and uh, the, the S word just keeps coming up over and over and over again. You got to have a culture where everyone feels safe. And uh, so mm. that's, that's where I am. I've said it before in my classes and, and my customers for that matter, potential customers try to try to make it safe for them to say whatever they need to say. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that gives you a footing to move forward in business and relationships, everything. Yeah. You know, one thing I've worked on is, is trying to feel safer myself to say whatever I need to from a business standpoint. I've had to, uh, I've not always felt safe to be able to communicate and protect myself. Like that's taken years to, to learn how to do too, as a business owner, to protect myself and, and set boundaries with my customers and, and what I, I'm a pleaser. I hate to disappoint people. So um, if there's somebody that takes it in the shorts, sometimes it's myself. And so mm-hmm. something yeah. to learn too. Well, I got to tell you, Wilson, your gesture drawing deal. Uh, <laughs> I, I spent that week in your shop. What? 2014 yeah, yeah yeah and that that's that's lived with me i haven't done i don't do a lot of drawing i'm I'm pretty on the cad side 3d modeling mostly mm-hmm. but the the concept of it has definitely lived with me so i had a i had some thoughts recently that were maybe a different take on the old gesture thing but the i'd i've been thinking a lot about decision making and about moving forward with a business and, you know, committing to the things you need to commit to. And at a recent kind of discovery, I was thinking about it. It's almost like there's such a thing as gesture decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think when you look at gesture drawing, where you're trying to put something on paper, you're looking at a blank sheet. Like, uh, my dad says is having a staring contest with a blank sheet of paper. Uh, I've heard you say you, you know, put your pencil to paper and then, you create a loop, you know what I mean? Cause now you see something and then your brain wants to chase that idea and then it creates a, a circle. You know what sure. I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you have nothing to look at, there's the circles broken. Um, right. when it comes to decision-making, I've kind of thought that with the idea of gesture decision-making is that maybe the first thing to do when you're kind of locked up, not sure which direction to go, um, is to make it like almost a gesture decision, like make a decision without even analyzing it. Um, and then you're going to get some sort of feedback from that decision and either quickly or sometimes not as quickly. But I think where the analyzing comes in is in the feedback from ma- having made the decision. Um, and so I, I've recently tried to turn the, turn the page over and be way more instinctual and loose with decision making and then be rigid and analytical after the fact, you know what I mean? And then course correct. Um, because I, I know I've been prone to locking up when it comes to like too many irons in the fire, too many options, too many directions, just, and then you try to analyze how many permutations of, you know, future outcomes there is for each decision and, uh, try to get away from that and be almost gestural in decision-making. Well, you know, I, for, so for, um, this April will be 25 years on my own. And I can promise you the worst thing I've done business-wise is nothing. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's to be locked up and not do anything. Be scared to death you're going to make a mistake. And so I'm I'm right there with you on board of this podcast, Patreon. Uh, I fought it for a long time and nothing's happening, right? Nothing. The, the same old keeps happening. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So why not? I, I do know that we, a person probably ought to be careful. Uh, like you could probably get in over your head if you're not careful uh, with, a, with a rash decision, a knee, a knee jerk reaction. But mm-hmm. man, if you keep it simple, light gesture drawn, you're not trying to save the world by, yeah. by what the decisions you're making. I, I'm i with you. Shorty, you got big shorty. Well, you got a. You know what? I, I think oh, man, we, I know you do. if we back up a, a step or two, I know we've been, we've talked about gesture drawing several times i think we kind of assume everybody knows what that's all about why don't you give Mm -hmm. you're the you're the one your dad uh the the venerable mike capron uh was the first one that told me about it he referred me to that book and and i got it and it sat on my shelf for several years and then and then i show up at cristobal texas and sit in your class (laughs) and he's okay everybody just your drawing and I was drawing this flower and stuff. You came over to my 
he came over to my desk where I was drawing. He said, that ain't a gesture drawing. Huh? <laughs> what? It's a, it's, it what? was a pretty cool flower, but it wasn't a gesture drawing. <laughs> it wasn't a gesture drawing. So tell <laughs> tell us what, see if you can kind of package Nicolaides' concept here. And, and then we'll try to connect that with what TJ's talking about. A gesture, what a gestural uh, mode of decision making. Sure. So... So I think one of the ways that I have um, tried to articulate recently is gesture is movement, right? Gesture. If you make a gesture, that means you're making a movement. So when you say a gesture drawing and you're doing a drawing, you're, you're, con- you're concentrating on all the information. The more information you have about a subject matter, the better you're going to be able to draw it. So when you gesture draw, you're imitating or duplicating, repeating, putting down on paper what the object is doing. So even if it's a piece of even if it's a, a piece of paper sitting on a tabletop, it's doing something. So learning how to articulate what that is doing on paper um, is the main purpose. In that in that drawing, the pencil never leaves the paper and and you have it's a, it's a minute, two minute long drawing of the whole dang thing, whether you're doing, whether you're drawing a whole city or a, a whole person or just the eyeball, right? Is like, is the more information that you know about each particular thing and, the, and, and what it is doing, the gesture it's doing, the movement it's making, you put that down on paper. So you have five seconds to draw the whole thing and then a minute or two to start to define. And you're not worried about contours. You're not worried about the boundaries, the outside edges. You're you're just simply trying to articulate on paper what it's doing and the movement it's making. So mm-hmm. um, very rough, very, uh, very loose and very quick. So as, as TJ was just saying, don't get caught up in overanalyzing, making it look like an eye. The eye is either closed or it's open, it's slanted, it's straight, it's, you know, all these mm-hmm. things. And that's what you're trying to articulate on the paper. Mm-hmm. So from a business standpoint, yeah, brainstorming and the brainstorming would mm-hmm. be a very good mm-hmm. way you know, mm-hmm. to articulate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's applied to me a little bit in terms of manufacturing and making knives and stuff. Cause I, I I've taken a more, uh, manufacturing route to the the way i'm making them and stuff and i have a small shop right now hopefully moving into a bigger one in the future but in my current shop i kind of looked at from the beginning as the shop is uh is the shop itself is a prototype um so not only is the the product in the beginning a prototype but the actual shop being prototyped for something else and it's uh i'm now turning the corner to start to commit to certain parts of, of the shop, things that I like, things that have been working and then decommit from the things that haven't. Uh, but I, I'm looking back, I think like just setting up my shop was a little bit gestural. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, mm-hmm. I, I roughly know what I'm going to need, but until I'm doing it, I don't know if it's the right way to do it. Um, and then now it feels like, you know, continuing the metaphor, it's like, I'm now committing to the lines that were right and right. erasing the ones that were wrong, you know, but the, having thrown all the lines down quick and dirty, I think accelerated the whole deal. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I hadn't connected that to the drawing, the gesture drawing, um, that realization. And now that I've connected it, that metaphor has been really enlightening, I guess, looking forward. It certainly frees you up, allows you. So there, in gesture drawing, there's no fear of making a mistake, mm-hmm. right? It's like you, you get to be all over the place and, uh, yeah, if you, if all you're worried about is setting up the perfect shop, you're never going to build the damn thing because you have yep. no earthly idea what the perfect shop is. Yeah. Put a table out there and work around it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Well, the the uh, thing that Nicolades doesn't talk about, that, and this is kind of the feedback loop that TJ was mentioning a moment ago, is that uh, in my classes, I... Uh, I tell people, you got to feed yourself some visual information. And that's that mm-hmm. loop. That's what, that's what makes that yep. circle complete. Like TJ was talking about. If you're, it, it's like you're throwing, you're playing catch. You're going to, the only way it works is if they throw the ball back. 
So if you're mm-hmm. just throwing throwing the ball at a in into a bush, well, it ain't, it ain't gonna ain't gonna throw throw any. It's not gonna throw it back. So you got to have that loop, that feedback loop. You got to have some information down and and uh, something that that you can go on. Uh, otherwise, you're mm-hmm. just have a staring contest with this blank piece of paper or this blank square footage of your shop or or this business plan and you can't get things off the ground so y'all 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 contemplate this and something so um we are being loose with our decisions with our drawings our business deal but we're also not starting off trying to form the next fedex or the next amazon in a business plan either right i mean we're not just gesture drawing oh we'll start amazon and here we go <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a little tall right is it you you start out with kind of simple concepts and kind of get going so if you've if you've never been in business before then let's gesture draw around a lemonade stand before we build up mm-hmm. into to amazon cuz i there's one part of this from a business standpoint that Wrote, throws a red flag up there like you could make some very critical errors that would undo you forever if you weren't careful right mm-hmm. so you do need to have some caution and, and kind of what's going on but uh start out with the simple basic things and and but be yeah. be loose and and be free don't log well, down on making you, a mistake you do gesture drawings on eight and a half by 11 paper not on a gold tablet right? yes yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly right <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, if you're going to be gestural, you need to be doing it in a way that is of consequence, but not of, you know, life altering, you know, financial destruction type consequences. And I think, like I said, with my small shop, just being in the garage, I just knew that having it in the garage would mean the consequences were low of doing something wrong. You know what I mean? We're not, I'm not, I don't have a lease or I don't have some big commitment. Um, But it feels good to know now, like if we're looking at lease in a industrial space, uh, I can scale something that I know already works and now the consequences will go up, but I'm now to the point where the eight and a half by 11 paper has moved up to, you know, something mm-hmm. more hard. Uh, I'll share an, an experience with you that came from making do living with what was available. You had that your garage was available, right? And there was no mm-hmm. major commitment to the deal. Well, when we moved to Cristobal, that shop that y'all were at, which I'm in a different one now, but when I first moved to Cristobal, that, that, that barn dominium that I had my shop in, I knew wouldn't work for a shop. Like I saw, I was like, Ugh, no way I'd like that. Well, this shop is set up basically exactly the same. It just was, <laughs> It was way cool. But after I got in there, I was like, I never would have dreamed that this would have worked the way it did. And yes, there's a few changes and, and uh, modifications, but never in my lifetime would I ever set up a shop like that. And I couldn't be happier mm-hmm. with this one. Mm-hmm. And, and, and your environment means a lot too, right? Prevailing winds and airflow in a bit and spur shop, getting the nasty out of there and living in the South where the winter's, we have our cold days, but we're headed to 87 and it's the 6th of November today or whatever. Right? I mean, yeah. we're headed to 87 degrees today. So air airflow is a good thing in my world. Yeah. So, I imagine. So anyhow, it's just being free and being loose and, and, and don't be so hard headed that uh, it prevents you from learning something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, one thing that I, one way of putting it that I'd kind of arrived at is like uh, being instinctual leads to action and action mm-hmm. leads to results. Yeah. Um, and I, I think analyzing and calculating, I think we were overconfident in our ability to model the future mentally. Because <laughs> um, I mean, you look at an examples like the stock market, you know, like you can take a Warren Buffett and they can barely, if not match the S&P 500 average. You know what I mean? Like to beat it by 1% takes a, an act of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you could just invest holistically in the stock market and do nearly as well. Right. Uh, it's just an example that like, it's just the smartest minds in the world are trying to calculate where the stock market's going to go and they can't do it. Like no matter right. what they say, right. um, I think that stock market's simpler than the li- our lives in the world as a whole. And sure. so, uh, I think just striking down the notion that we will be able to calculate the future with like a, a mental model is just a flawed approach. Yeah. Um, and that's just the same as like a, you know, a saddle. It's like, 
or pair of, you know, spurs or a bit, it's like, you can't necessarily 3d model every single scroll cut, every single thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to develop a process and approach that your instincts, instincts are activated, but they're also well-trained instincts and just, you know, starting to pound on a piece of metal, you know, you're going to get there. Um, and so I, yeah, I think, I think going out on a limb is, uh, it's, it's not only required, but it is actually the only way to do it because if you think that you have it all figured out, you actually are on a limb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. You're not yeah. to make God laugh, don't you? You're not to make yeah. God laugh. Yeah. Tell him your, yeah. Tell him your plans. Yeah. yeah. He'll giggle. <laughs> yeah. He'll giggle. Well, mm. it, it, you know, got Eli in the shop and uh, plugging away and doing wonderful. And, and uh, his personality is, in a lot of ways is like mine, but a lot of other ways it's unlike mine. Like I, I'm one of them ease into a room, kind of find my place and then, you know, move on. And, and I'm not, uh, oh, I shouldn't say I'm not timid, but I am very cautious, right? I don't just jump off out there and see things. But but I do also, and to contradict that, remember Greg telling me, Darnell, the mentor, my mentor said, hey, Willie, only five people in the world can do this. Well, I'd go straight to the shop to see if I can mm-hmm. do it. And if I if I did do it, well, then I'm one. Then I'm six, right? There's six of us. But if I didn't mm-hmm. do it, well, I was just like everybody else. It didn't matter. I screwed it up. So mm-hmm. I took that approach. And watching Eli go about his day, his day, and in, in his world, uh, it's really um, exciting for me to see the energy and all that because he's not scared to mess up. He like he just goes at it, and and then and if he does mess up, he's like, oh well, here, we'll, we'll we'll overcome this. Yeah. And yeah. and I think that's so important. And don't get me wrong. Um, Eli probably has his helmet strapped on pretty tight because he knows there's some roadblocks coming and some bumps and he's getting hit in the head, but you got to be tough, man. Cause mm-hmm. some of those gestures aren't going to work, right? Look, that yeah. screwed up. Yeah. Got to be tough. Yep. That's for sure. In, uh, in, in Kaima Nicolaiti's book, the natural way to draw, he says, you got 5,000 drawings to do before you ever do a good one or you're even good enough to look at it and see whether you've done a good one. So you might as mm-hmm. well just get started and gesture mm-hmm. drawings aren't even part of the drawings. That's just the warm ups to get to the drawing. Right. So there's a lot of scratching that has to be done. Yeah. 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 A lot of no, scratching. Sure. Well, that's kind of the second stage of the process, right? You got, so you, you kind of jump off and hoping that will appear and, uh, so, uh, Lord willing, the net does appear and, and whatnot, but, but the journey is rife with course corrections. So if you, if you, you get plugged in with, you know, you get this paradigm stuck in your head that this is the way the future will go. And, and in your own mind, in your own little playground that you're locked in, you, you, uh, this is the way it will play out. If, and it almost yeah. certainly mm-hmm. will not be that way. So, so there, there's this requisite kind of a nimbleness, if that's a word that, that has to occur yeah. and be paying attention just as if you're looking at a, a what is your hand doing with the pencil on paper? Uh, in real life, you got to see what's going on and be able to analyze. Like I think TJ said, then, then the analysis, then, then we, we run into hard edges. Then we got to put our thinking cap mm-hmm. on. We we put the left side of our brain, engage that part of our brain, analyze things, and try to figure out what's what's which line do I keep, which yeah. line do I throw away. That's yeah. the and because you see businesses and people kind of get stuck in a way of doing things, and and uh, because that was the plan to begin with, and uh, well. Next thing mm-hmm. you know, things are kind of falling down around their ears. Mm-hmm. So, so I have uh, preached for many years: start time, quit time. Like you, you, you be regimented about your day, and you be regimented about your schedule. And and uh, by golly, that's the way it is. And and you'll stay fresh and and moving forward. And I and I agree with that. Still, I agree a lot with that. But as Mike and I started working together, and uh, I opened the books up to him and, and, you know, I just, I just exposed it all to Mike and said, here you go. I might as well see it all and then tell me where to go. And in, in, in his first analysis, 
I mean, within within hours, he said, well, you don't have a spending problem. You got a working problem. Well, <laughs> I had made the big comment. You know, anybody tells me I got to work harder, to hell with them. I'm in here 70 hours a week as it is. I don't, seven, you know, 65, 70 hours a week. I ain't going to work more. I got family. I got life. I'm going to do that. And of course, I, that's what I wanted to say, but I said, okay, cool. What, what do we, what do we got? And he said, you need 40 hours a week. I know that's been my problem all along. He said, well, just do it. Go at it. That was one of the, that's an instance right there where I thought I had it all figured out and I had to do course correction and say, okay, mm-hmm. let, let's back up and change. And, and, uh, that doesn't mean I want to live in my shop 75 to 80 hours a week. I'm coming close to that, but, um, I become more efficient. I'm starting to change and, and, and figure out what's important and what's not important. And I mean, the simple fact of working 40 hours a week is so dang big to the shop and then the revenue that comes in. I mean, it's crazy. If Okay, before I hired Eli, it was 20 to 25 hours a week. So since May 1st, I've basically doubled my income just mm-hmm. by focusing and having a goal of one thing. So again, yeah. change. You've got to be able to change and, and adapt and grow with, with the way things are going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's where you like you described. You, uh, you got to commit to lines eventually. You know what I mean? Because yep. like, mm-hmm. like you said, the gesture drawing is not the final product. It's eventually you've got to pick something out there that you're going to commit to. Um, and the whole point there is, you know, you got to get as, as a bunch of data in front of you, but you do have to put your thinking cap on and pick the pick what string of data is the is the one to chase. And I think that's an example of Mike kind of showing you this is the line. You know what I mean? I can see your gesture here. This is the line. Yeah, here it is. And, and that's, and that's what he's done for me. So getting an outside, so which bring up, brings up the mentor thing. And I think it's so critical that we've all had mentors or in the craft side of things and the drawing and especially you and I carry and and you probably have too, TJ and that we've had people say, well, maybe you need to do this, do that. My dad, that's my son, but but I never had anybody look at the at the lines of my business, the bottom lines mm-hmm. of my business, and and tell me what was actually happening and not happening. Man, I wish I'd have done it a long time ago. But I, I I've actually been searching for. We've talked about it a lot, huh, Carrie? You know about mm-hmm. having a mentor in that respect. But I never really had that opportunity until I met Mike in in February, and then mm-hmm. I was like, "Here's a sucker. <laughs> Here's somebody mm-hmm. I can con into it." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and what a beautiful thing too and that bragging on mike a little bit but the, but he's a braider so he understands our weird artsy fartsy side you know in a way so that makes it that makes it better too mm-hmm. so have you, have you ever thought about making a knife willie or have you i have made one yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i don't i don't uh yes uh, i went and made a, a slip joint one time with uh weldon whitley and that was it was a lot of fun, and, and uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. And, of course, um, going to the knife show and, and doing some of that, it, it's really fun and interesting. But scary, too, is kind of like engraving guns. I mean, I engrave every day, and people say, oh, you should engrave guns. But, um, you know, I have, a, I, have a, um, I have my rung on the ladder in the bit and spur world. I'd start back out at the bottom. And if I went, those other, no matter how good I can grave or how good I could make a knife, I would be at the bottom. So it's kind of like, hmm, where yeah. do I want to spend my time? Yeah, you know? for sure. I do, but I'll, I'll stay out of bits and spurs. I think <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. If I will tell you a funny experience though, you know, when I went with Weldon and was making that slip joint and we went to, to do the hollow grind on the blade and I use a belt sander every day. I look like a kindergartner on that belt sander trying to grind a hologram, you know, I was like, holy cow, it, it was not working the way it should, you know, so. Yeah, those two by 72 belt grinders, they're yeah. the, the you know, primary weapon of the knife maker. It's like, uh, it's where it starts and ends really in the yeah. beginning. I, I, mm-hmm. I've, like I said, gone a more manufacturing route, but yeah, that still got a two by 72 and still, yeah. still use it every day. Well, me too. And, and, and that was... The reason I got one in the shop is because Weldon said, you, you need a belt sander. And I said, mm-hmm. those things suck. And he said, no, you suck. You just don't know how to use it. I'll mm-hmm. teach you. And then 
$500 later worth of belts and $3,000 worth of belt sander. Well, yeah, I'm rocking and rolling. It's pretty dang yeah. cool now. But yeah. good equipment and then the knowledge of how to run it. Mm-hmm. It's been big. Yeah. It's been big. Mm-hmm. You need one, Carrie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all I need. I know, I know my dad's. I, I know you've made a knife, Dad, back in the day. Or oh, at least yeah. built, assembled I, one. Back in uh, what? I was probably 14 years old, 13 years old. Got a kit, put it together. So, didn't make the blade. You got the blade. What is that, Willie? There's, that's my knife. It's, oh, nice. there it's You see that little red spot right there? Yeah. Yeah. I gutted Emmy's first deer Saturday or Sunday. Oh, <laughs> so nice. I watched it. Oh, uh, there you go. That's a pretty nice but, knife. But yeah, if you're going to gutting make- a deer. Oh, no, this is, well, I mean, I made this thing to, it cuts everything from deer to my cheese, right? So (laughs) it's, it's the everyday deal. Use it all day. And, and I, I have some nice knives, but I, I was like, man, it's kind of like the nice bits and spurs and you, you don't, you don't want to go mudding in them every day, right? The nice ones, it's time for a special Mm -hmm. occasion. Well, I wanted one I could scratch on the table and do whatever else I was wanting to do and not feel bad about it so if i made it and of course we put some fancy engraving and stuff on there yeah that stuff's expensive though you're paying for it yourself the fact that i make knives kind of leads to me uh sometimes abusing my knives because i know i've got another one if i need it so yeah sometimes you gotta as a manufacturer you gotta find out where the limits are of your product and i definitely do sometimes <laughs> i may or may not have used mine for a screwdriver the other day and how yeah. stupid <laughs> is that right yeah and sure enough pop, pop yeah. a little it's a very just a little chip on the very tip and it wasn't the yeah. point it was just on the edge and i was like ah, crap yep yeah you yep. would you can't know it now. It's all gone, right? Which, which then led a whole nother rabbit trail because the hollow grind in the beginning wasn't enough and it was kind of thick. And, and when I went to grind it back to that, I said, well, shoot, I bet I can make that hollow grind better. So I started all over, just made it thinner mm-hmm. and the whole deal. It cuts a lot better now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Tell you what, that first version of that knife, that was the gesture version. And then you came back and that's right. a better line. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, you ever about making had any a little knives, foray Kieran? into the the bit making world. It yeah, was, true. He kind of stuck his it? toe in the water. No, a little yeah, bit. I, Tom Balding down there and Sheridan oh. having a hoping to not talk over you, Dad. We break up every every little bit. Good. But yeah, Tom Tom Balding down there in uh, in Sheridan, Wyoming. Sheridan. We we touch base and. We, uh, I helped him design. I didn't make any of them. I, I helped him design a CNC machined bit oh, wow. cheek piece. Um, so yeah, yeah got got to play with it a little bit, but it's a uh, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different world. Matt, our friend Matt Humphreys, Outlaw Water Jet. Are you familiar with Outlaw Grinders? Paragon yep. uh, fills yep, them. Yep. And uh, Matt designed them and all that. But he has CNC and and he thinks all that world, you know, and it's awesome. Some of the stuff he creates is is way cool. Mm-hmm. Way so cool. I got, a, I got Go a question for both of you that the knife industry has been interesting because, you know, the knife industry is obviously old, shares a lot of roots with the Western world you guys are in. Um, as CNC mills became, you know, more available in the last 25 to 30 years, it's really, really been common in the knife industry for that to get kind of picked up. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on a, how f- effective it would be, and B, how would it be received? Um, obviously, in the saddle side, it's a little bit different, but like in uh, in bits and spurs, is it, are there more people picking up CNC, or do you see that taking longer for customers to accept that? Or um, I think it depends on what market you are. In. I mean, so let's take mm-hmm. the production world like, the, that you're talking about, where CNC actually comes into play, right? Because mm-hmm. to build that first one, that first shank was extremely expensive, but to build 2000 of them now all of a sudden it becomes very cost effective Mm -hmm. um i don't see anything wrong with it in the future what what most of the guys in the industry are doing right now in the production world like carrie kelly um uh it's it's cast right it's it's Mm -hmm. it's an all casper and he's the king of the production world out there and as far in american made selling the most product and all that especially texas is is is, uh he he casts his spurs and then puts silver on them the way it goes and 
the market is, from my knowledge, is completely comfortable with that. I mean, he sells gobs of those things. So, so, so one trend that has happened though in the knife industry is that production obviously picked up the CNCs first, but mm-hmm. the new newer trend is that CNCs have made their way into the hands of true, true custom guys, super high end, mm-hmm. um, and it's become. At rather than a method of production, it's become sort of like a two by seventy two. It's become a tool yep. that is well, involved in a in a handmade knife. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious if that if that has a place. I will. I, I don't know if the CNC will, but but the fiber laser engravers, I I don't think we can keep it out. It's mm-hmm. it, it's so and and that doesn't mean that it will do all your engraving, but. Um, but the 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 cavities it can create for the inlays and the relief on the on the round and and, and <laughs> relief engraving and scrolls, um, I don't think we can keep it out. It's coming, and I mean they're sixty five hundred dollars for one of those machines, mm-hmm. and so uh, I definitely see it coming. I know some guys that are using it. Mm-hmm done properly, you'll never know. It's simply a tool, and so instead yeah. of a hammer and a chisel or a pneumatic burr grinding that material out the 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 fiber laser now does it and you still have to go back and to truly make it custom one off you still have to go back and clean that stuff up and and finalize the execution right it Mm -hmm. doesn't finish it for you matter of fact it's a long ways from being finished Mm -hmm. but but by but it's a simple tool that's my opinion um i do have some collectors that say if i hear you have a computer using to build myself i don't want them i said well i start out on cad so where are we going to draw the line right yeah I mean, yeah computer computers involved so i don't know i think it's just a time in, in time and our market is not as developed as yours it's not in the knife world and it's not as big um everybody packs a knife not everybody needs a saddle or a bit I mean, so. mm. yeah no, no i've always i've always just been curious about that it's it's interesting, like you said, the parallels and the differences between the two industries and whatnot. Albeit, like I said, they come from the same roots in a lot of ways. What do you think, Kerry? I mean, you're so again. I don't. I don't know that you're going to be using a, a, a fiber laser or a CNC to make a saddle. But what's the difference between a, a CNC mill and a clicker on a saddle? Well, yeah, it's. Uh... It's a little bit different animal. I think you you got an organic material. I think that that's a a game changer right there. So, but you do have a clicker. I've got a clicker. I click out sm- my small things like latigo catchers and cinch catchers and things like that and other accessory stuff. But but uh, I know uh, Frank Clegg, my friend out there in Fall River, Massachusetts, uh, the great. Frank Clegg building reef cases and stuff for 50 years and and uh he's got a CNC uh I think it's a laser uh that that cuts out his parts so he's got a he told me $100,000 machine and it just uh, I guess there's a probably a screen that shows the the actual side of leather on his cutting table and he's just able to I guess probably by touch just move his parts around to maximize uh, where they get the yield, you know, that he wants out of the side mm-hmm. of leather and pushes the button and bang, cuts all those parts mm-hmm. out all of a sudden. So, so I think there's an opportunity for some things like that. But of course, uh, like anything, it has to be, you said $6,500 for a laser engraver. I think mm-hmm. you said, uh, well, uh, you know, mm-hmm. most shops are not going to be able to stand a hundred thousand dollar CNC machine to cut their saddle parts mm-hmm. out. Um, not not one man shops like I, but but that those costs are are lowering all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So, like the laser cutter I have in the shop, you know, um, delivered doorstep doorstep was twenty eight five, I think, which twenty eight thousand dollars for a machine in my shop was. A lot, and and I have a partner that paid for it, right? And we're in partners on the machine, and and he wanted to buy it, so away we go. 
But I promise you, if it breaks tomorrow because of what I'm able to do with it now and, and the efficiency within the shop, it's worth every stinking penny, even though, well, this is part of that gesture drawing of the business side of things. But for me to spend $28,000 on a machine that I'm going to use once a month didn't make sense. But for me to have a side hustle within my shop from a business standpoint that I can use once a month and then cut out parts for other guys and make money off of that makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. So I'll absolutely have another one if this one blows up. And already with this one, I'm looking over the fence going, I bet a bigger one would be cooler. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, yeah, it's, it's just, it's interesting. Cause it's all like, like Carrie said, it's like, the prices on a lot of these things are precipitously falling. I mean, the yeah. last like 15 years, uh, you mentioned 6,500 for a fiber laser. So I, I, I bought a fiber laser and it's, uh, I think I, I think it was 2,500 and it's a 50 watt and I could cut through steel. That's a hundred thou thick. I mean, wow. it's, it's, it would take time. Right. But as far as like the deep engraving and like the, you know, cutting out for inlays and stuff, I do all my logos on all my knives with it and I deep engrave them. Um, and yeah, it was, it's under three grand to the door. Um, and it's, it's amazing. And that was a, that was a 50 watt you said. Yeah. So that was, that was, uh, that was 6,500 what I was hearing. Now I don't, I yeah. don't know all the difference. I don't know the difference of the machines or whatever's got, I don't know a lot about all the lasers and I'm learning more about mine, you know, but yeah, it's crazy how, how is that fiber or is that uh, fiber? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It has to be because you're mm -hmm. engraving the steel and all that. Mm -hmm. So that, that patch on your hat is probably fiber. Uh, uh, laser or, not, or not by mine, CO2. but yeah. Yeah. Laser right? engraved for sure. Yep. Yeah. Laser engraved. Yeah, lasers are, lasers are amazing. They've really changed a lot of industries. They have. But, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm probably no secret. I'm a real technology guy. I, when I look at the way I'm doing things, um, if I can do something more repeatably, like for example, there's a lot of things that are hard to automate and it actually be better. Oftentimes when you automate certain steps, they get worse. Mm -hmm. um, my philosophy is I automate the things that are actually better because they're automated. As far right. as there's certain, there's certain aspects of a knife that are like tolerance wise, uh, better if they're repeatable. Um, right. and then there's other parts that are better if they're hand finished because you, you're obviously, uh, having some attention to detail. And so I, I'm running, you know, a hybrid between automation and hand handmade on some steps, uh, to try to just ultimately, I tried to shed any, any notion that I would, uh, philosophically be opposed to making the product better if automation right. was the thing that made it better, uh, if sure. that makes sense, mm -hmm. but it's, it's been an interesting road. Well, um, I'm not a traditionalist and, and ever, every traditional traditionalist that has the argument has a line in the sand somewhere. There's a line in the sand. So that's always the argument to me. Where are you going to draw the line? Mm -hmm. And, and I find often that our peers, because they don't want to spend the money or in, invest the money or invest the time to learn how to use the tool that it is that you have, then it's wrong to use it because, mm -hmm. um, uh, it all, all the, all the hammer and chisel boys that used to chase their engraving, you say, oh, the machine's cheating, the machine's cheating. Well, now that everybody can afford one and has one, it's okay to use them. Yeah. So, uh, it just, we're all trying to get to perfect, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's the objective. And, and there is factors like I'm not going, I'm doing one offs and, and, and maybe to, like a power hammer in my shop is a wonderful piece of technology that's not new, right? But it's it's a wonderful piece of technology. I don't have one because I would use it once every three months. I'd love to have it, but it, mm. I'd have to redo my my business model as to why I would need a twenty thousand dollar hammer in my shop every day. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So I think it's wonderful. Is there so Schwartzy? Is there is there technology developing in the leather world, or is it still? I mean. Y'all have that argument well, in your world much? Well, I know, I know of at least two guys that are building saddle trees on a CNC. So they're they're modeling in CAD, you know, the different shapes. They're made out of wood. So finished mm -hmm. product yet in the wood, they look pretty pretty traditional, but I I actually think it's kind of exciting. Uh but uh 
But I, I get the tension. I understand. I totally understand the tension there is between automation and, and hand-built stuff. You do have to ask the question, as a traditionalist, what then will happen to handmade skill? Well, <laughs> well, it, not- it, it does place it in, in jeopardy. There's no doubt about that. Um, I will. I will say this on that. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to let you go back at it. But it is cheating in my mind if you don't have the core fundamental skill set to to move the product forward after automation is done, right? So back Mm -hmm. to the, the laser engraver, that's just the beginning. If you don't have the fundamental skill set of by hand, you will never be able to finish it to the quality that hand can do. Because so. If you if you're a brand new engraver and you go get you a fiber laser engraver and you call yourself an engraver, you're not an engraver. You didn't yeah. finish it out. You just got the ball rolling. You haven't finished it out. So, yeah. so that I do need to say that is like I'm a fan of technology, but it's like my hammer and anvil out there. Um, you can cast all the mouthpieces you want, but I'll always be more creative with my hammer and anvil. Yeah, and, there's and, there's a difference between augmenting your skills and replacing your skills exactly yeah that's a great way to say it. see carrie that's why i have him on he's very articulate and he has all kinds of good words like that that i'll never remember <laughs> he's a lot better on his feet than i am i can say that for sure but uh, there's no lag i exited out of my video feed or, so that so hopefully i won't have i won't be a the kid that's a lag. been in first grade for five years but uh anyway get getting back get to what you're talking for about christmas uh i think tj kind of said it pretty well there a moment ago um what i've i've advised people in my trade uh trying to get going and stuff is buy a clicker go develop a, a line of products that are that are accessible but for you at your skill level and accessible for customers and maybe even a laser engraver so you can decorate it in some way or another and uh, and use that as what I would call a supplement or a subsidy so that as you develop your skill set for all one-off handmade stuff, the dilemma is the economic dilemma you face getting started is cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're you're trying to develop skill, efficiency, pricing, and a clientele. You got to get all those planets to line up. You can't snap your fingers and that happens. Yep. And you got a baby to feed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that's that's really really hard to do. So that's where automation, like a clicker, can help you bridge across from a cash flow standpoint and be able to keep the bills. Uh, uh, paid and uh, and then all the while perhaps subsidize that that time in the shop where you're it's going to be donated time and you're trying to develop a skill set so you can get to where you really want to be Does that make sense absolutely I, troy mm-hmm. flayhardy is a good example of that and the, our newest member of the tca and been on the podcast troy uh, has a has a production line and done has a, a a great business doing that right subsidizes the day that his custom line um actually subsidizes it and he gets to, and and he's set the business model up to where he doesn't have to build all those things he's got people working for him that produce the cus the, the the production line and then he gets to focus on his custom work and yeah he still has to be the ceo of that other deal but it doesn't consume the whole day doing that um one one thing about automation that i have thought a lot about is like nowadays in the cnc world this is odd gonna sound odd to hear but in the cnc mill and lathe world a mill or a lathe that's cnc automated is actually not called automation anymore um what the word automation actually means if you're talking to like cnc shops is the actual like part loading and unloading so like the cnc mill Mm -hmm. is not the automation the automation is the loading and unloading um and i think that kind of points to something which i think is a misunderstanding uh out there is that when you're using a lot of these quote-unquote automated tools it's still a physical process that you're involved in 
It's just the tool is, like I said, augmenting your ability to be precise. And a a metaphor that I've used is like, if you go and you turn your electric stove on and you put a pan on it, would you call that automation? The fact that you have an exactly 300 degrees pan because you turned it off. Um, Most people wouldn't call that automation because guess what? You still have to cook the food. Yeah. Um, But it's it's giving you a level of precision in your process that you that, you know, if you're building a wood fire, you can't keep that pan at 350 degrees. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm careful with the word automation because oftentimes like with a laser or something like you still had to make, uh, the decisions on the design, you still had to lay it out. You still had to, to place it, you know, and, and swap parts. You still have to, like you said, clean it out. Um, but there's a precision and accuracy that it can do is, it may not be able to achieve the finish that a, a handmade product can be, but it is going to exceed human precision. Yes. Um, and so one thing about that that I've found is having an employee now is that one of the biggest benefits is that you can then achieve a level of precision and then delegate it. So yeah. if I bring in a new employee, I've had a, him in here for six months. If I've uh, run a part on a laser or on a mill enough times to know that I have a reliable process for tool life, and all this, and, and the precision is there, um, I can have someone help me do it. And the fact that it's augmenting my skills means that someone else can can do the same exact job, right? They can create the same outcome as what I could. Um, and so that's where I think automation is a tricky word because someone still has to do it. But if it's if it's an augmented skill, then you can hire someone new to the field with less skill and they can achieve the same result. Exactly. So the one, go ahead. Well, the one thing that I think you're spot on, right? I mean, I I totally agree. The one thing that we have to be careful of as custom makers, when you buy a custom product, is it one of one? So that would be where the, where the, that would be the one argument that those guys, well, anybody can do it now. No, 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 no. It's still going to be me. Yes. You're right, TJ. in that, um, if we're creating a cataloged item, then I can reproduce that catalog item with 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 hired help after I figured out the process and get it all lined out like you're talking about. But as custom makers, we we do need to make sure we say, hey, this is one of one, right? And so mm-hmm. I got I got Eli working in the shop, but Eli's not making my business first, and mm-hmm. just got done with the treble clef bit. It's one of one. If I do another one, it it, it may be the same design, but it will to be one of one, right? Yeah. Is is that mm-hmm. it, my hands are doing it and all even even if I had a CNC mill and it cut it all out and beveled my edges and did all that stuff, it, it would still be one of one by the time I got done with my handwork mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. But it does from a business standpoint, it does make huge sense. And you know, Carrie, I've never talked I've never thought about what you're talking about there. Um and as Eli's rocking and rolling in shop and starting his young career and, and having people ask me all the time, how do I get started? That's a really, that's a good topic. That's something to really think about is, is let's not worry about being custom because you have no earthly idea how long it's going to take to do custom. We fight it every day, 25 years into the process. It's a tough way to make a living if you don't have an understanding or the market to pay for mm-hmm. that. So if you can create a cataloged item that, that you could, automate to a point right be, I, yeah i'm not really good at the i don't like that auto you got to be careful with the word automation right that, yeah. that is but if you can repeat the process and the time frame in a manner that is affordable to lots of folks put it that way mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty good thing to remember too. think mm-hmm. about something to think about yeah well the single biggest yeah, and, and- uh uh labor saving device in my shop is the clicker i mean you can and that yeah. precision thing that tj's talking about comes into play big time because uh you know i got a cheek piece that i designed some years ago for a head stall and i don't make very many head stalls these days almost none but mm-hmm. man i could cut out a lifetime supply in half a day and uh, if i were to have right. to cut those out by hand they wouldn't be as good <laughs> And, and they would yeah. it'd take me forever and uh, yeah. wear and tear on a knife, I would say, the whole thing. I would say this, you're, you could cut it out as good, Carrie. You could cut, you could cut it out by hand as good as that clicker, but the finish work it would take to ultimately have that perfect project that's equal to the clicker 
would simply take a lot of time that doesn't yeah. make sense. It does. It yeah. just simply doesn't make sense when a better tool is right there to do the exact same job yeah. much more efficiently. Yeah. Another, another phrase that I've said before too, is like oftentimes quote unquote automation in, for sure in my shop doesn't actually make things faster. But what I, what I say all the time is, uh, is precision upstream creates efficiency downstream. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, if you, if you click or cut something that's supposed to fit something else, yeah. it's going to fit. Right. And so right. it's like, you may be able to cut it out, uh, you know, a clicker in the in that case is fast. It's, you're not going to cut it that fast, but in the case of a CNC mill, like for example, my, uh, my knives that I make, like, I'm pretty sure if I had them water jet and I took them to a grinder, I could possibly pace that machine and, and be, you know, at a, at a similar rate of output. Mm-hmm. But my handle scales are independently made by another CNC machine. They, uh, when I have Dalton in there assembling, they fit. Perfectly. If, if yeah. I, if I outpace the machine doing it by hand, what's going to happen? I'm going to have a bunch of parts that don't perfectly fit together. Right. And so, um, there's, there's efficiency in precision itself, even That's if true. precision is slower. And so, um, I, I think about that a lot, you know, in my shop of like, the precision is 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 the main thing, the main reason for quote unquote automation more so than speed or labor savings. It took a lot of years, so all my silvers designed on the computer, the CAD, right? Silver spur, the architecture, the cartoon drawing of my piece is all done out, silver's laid out. I print it all out and go to cutting. Um, it took me a lot of years to be able to execute the architecture to the precision needed for my silver to fit after I had it all done. Right. And that's so important. And now I absolutely can do that with a bandsaw and a jeweler saw and create the same thing. Um, but now with the with the with the with the laser cutter, it spits it out so much faster yeah. to this to the same quality. Right. Yeah. Same quality. That, that precision is saving you time. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, and so it's the downstream gains of efficiency from precision that I'm really after. Yeah. So part yeah. of part of what what we're gaining right here, I thought TJ was gonna gonna include this part. So you got uh, you got a, an employee, you got a repeatable process that he's able to uh, subscribe to, do it at, 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 in a, an efficient manner, just as well as you. But what does that do for mm-hmm. you? Now that frees up time and headspace for you then to be more creative in other ways. So, and mm-hmm. Willie, you're bobbing your head, you know, you yep. got the same thing yep. going on. So, so it. It, it's just building more RAM, if you will, in your business by being able to delegate some things that almost anyone can do. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're talking a lot here of, of creating a business, not just the great Kerry Schwartz saddle maker, the great TJ Schwartz knife maker. It's, 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 we're, we're talking about creating a business that mm-hmm. actually creates revenue and income for the family in a way. And, and, and where we have to be careful is not to damage the reputation and perceived value of us as individuals with our custom work. But then on the other side is don't limit ourselves to only what our hands can make is expand the business and actually have a business instead of just a high paying job, um, which is what I've had for the last 24 years. It's just mm-hmm. a job, right? I don't have mm-hmm. a business, but as, as I move forward with, with the, with the laser and different things that are going on, um, it allows, and as a designer, so that's something I'm trying to work into as well, TJ, like what you've done in the knife world is, is get companies to pay me for my designs. Why not? Um, mm-hmm. is like I, I've worked, I've worked as you know my whole career to become a good designer. Well, why won't mass production take those lines that are just as simple and easy to execute as the hideous lines that they got yeah. going on now, right? Why not pay yeah. me? Create separation in the marketplace. So I'm trying to develop that as well. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's business, right? That's a business. That's yeah. That that's not just what my hands can create. It's allowing other people to to take a skill set and a, a, a knowledge and and create mm-hmm. something with it. Revenue. Yeah. That's yeah. new, wouldn't it be? Carry revenue. You ever heard that word? That's a new one. ROI. Yeah, I was going to say we're about to get TJ. I'm sorry, we're about to get some. His speech is going to start regurgitating <laughs> up with all these letters and yep. 
Did yeah. you have, did he get, did he get, did he practice it in front of you or tell you after it's all over? Look, son, you got to listen to this. No, he, he, he wasn't there. So no, he wasn't there. So did you hear the speech? You know, the world will probably hear that speech. So we'll see. No, I haven't heard it yet. Oh, that's good. Look forward to that. You know, one thing though here to kind of put a bow on our little discussion here and Wilson, you kind of danced around there, there a little bit is what needs to happen. I think kind of a two stage integrity. First of all, with yourself, uh, okay, this is, I'm kind of roaming off into the, the world of, I don't want to use the word automation, but, but machine work, something a machine does. Uh, and, uh, so I have to have a certain amount of integrity with myself and draw those lines of distinction with myself. And secondly, we, we got to make clear to our customers, uh, you know, you you said some of your customers. Well, when you go to a automation or CNC or whatever, you get a computer involved. I'm out. Well, we we right. got to be honest with our customers about that. It's still all the integrity stuff. That here's here's what here, here's how this piece uh, worked out, and this is my process. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's pretty yeah. important to be transparent on that. You're right. I danced all around it. The reason I danced around it, Carrie, because I lost my train of thought. But I, I think, uh, I think the fear of our customers comes from a lack of understanding of how it is that it's actually created. They, they, they think that we're just going to push a button and it spits thirty bits out. <laughs> no, sorry, mm-hmm. right? That's not the, that's not the actual deal. And I think if we brought them into the into our environment and allowed them to actually see the process, which Patreon, YouTube, all the different things that we have going on is allows people uh, into my shop to see what's going on um, helps in that. But I do think that's where it comes from. Their fear yeah. they're, they're, I'm not going to buy it. If a computer does it, you don't understand what a computer does. You don't understand the technology. That's why you don't an, like it. And, and as an illustration of that and I'm in my shop, so I've got two CNC mills and one of them is the one that actually machines the steel, right? It mm-hmm. actually is cutting out the parts mm-hmm. uh, for every knife it does it all, everything we make comes off that machine it can outpace us we have the downstream hand finishing and all the other things involved the, that one machine can outpace us with putting out these machine parts um if it runs any more than one day a week so oh, wow. <laughs> so that that illustrates the ratio of effort yeah. to the downstream versus what that machine is doing um, it takes us three days of working on one day's worth of production off that machine to try to keep up with it. And even that's can be a stretch. Um, and so as just as an illustration that if, if the machine really was finishing our knives and, and that we were just pressing buttons, I would run it four days a week. If I run it four days a week, we've got three days worth of knives that we don't, we can't finish. We don't have the manpower. Yeah. Um, and that's the way a lot of that stuff is, you know what I mean? Is that it's, like I said, it's, it's lending its precision to aid our downstream process. Um, but it's not really replacing a whole lot. The, the, the treble clef bit I just got done with, it took, but I'll round up to three minutes to cut out those two shanks on the laser cutter. Mm-hmm. But it took me two and a half weeks of handwork to finish yeah. what it took two and a half yeah. minutes, three minutes to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, so three minutes of actual cutting there as you as you and i both know there's some drawing and programming yeah. and all that stuff that has to happen to get that yeah. done but yeah it worked for two and a half minutes while i worked 30 minutes to an hour to get it all plugged in there but, yeah yeah and that that 30 minutes to an hour plus the three minutes with the precision gained uh, i imagine saved you considerable time downstream it um, probably it yeah just eliminate the precision all total but but just the simple process of going to the to the bandsaw and cutting that out probably it probably saved me two hours you yeah. know of cutting all that out yeah yeah and then you throw the precision on top of it and so yeah. uh, that's a whole nother level and would you would you say that the precision saved you more than the two hours oh absolutely absolutely yeah. because filing the inside shapes which again just like just like the the head stall carrier you're talking about, I can cut that out and cut it. 
I can cut the lines within a five thousandth of an inch on the bandsaw, which is pretty daggum precise, mm-hmm. right? But then I got to go file all that and make sure that I stay with those lines. And and uh, and I and I too had to file the laser cut pieces as well, right? We we mm-hmm. all know it's not a mirror finish. I got to go in there and, and smooth it all up. But it just happens so much faster, so much yeah. easier. Yeah, yeah. And still handmade, still rub rub a dub yeah. dub on that thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's for sure. Well, gentlemen, well, should we go clock in? We got Before to we carve up any more of our day. That sounds good to me. All that right. sounds good to well, me too. Sure, appreciate oh. you coming on, TJ. And uh, thanks for you, having me. Any of you want to follow TJ and Lucas Burnley's podcast? It's a kind of a weekly deal too, as well, called Edge and Flow. Right, Edge and Flow podcast on Edge Spotify. And Flow so interesting stuff. They they get into all kinds of things. So. Are you Give the edge or the flow, TJ? Edge. You're the edge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, tr- we're, we're spending the whole podcast trying to meet in the middle, but he's flow and I'm edge. <laughs> well, just like Carrie's trying to talk in this one, and, he, and, and I, I, I'm flowing in ours. I'm flowing speech. And your dad's thinking about what needs to be mm-hmm. said. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, well. Thank you, man. Appreciate y'all. Yeah. Thank All you, right. guys. Take care. Yeah. Adiós.